0: have your Bible, I encourage you to open it to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4 verses 1 through 20 this morning as you're turning there. Uh, some of you came in and maybe you're surprised to see me here. You were hoping I wouldn't be here this morning. Um, my sabbatical actually starts next Sunday, so you should have waited another week. Um, but uh, but no, it, uh, Pastor Brian's on vacation uh, this week, and so I'm going to be here this week, and Uh, The sabbatical will start next Sunday on the back of your... uh, Actually, in the uh, bulletin where the uh, sermon notes are, you can see uh, the lineup of people who will be speaking on the the days while I'll be gone. Uh, And I hope that you will be here every week and support those who will be sharing and opening up God's Word to you. Uh, They have been already preparing the message to bring to you on the week that they are going to be ministering. Uh, You'll notice the end of the summer there, Pastor Brian isn't preaching for a couple weeks there, the end of the summer, last two weeks in August there, uh, that is because his wife Lori is due that week and uh, so I encourage you, uh, please be supportive of Pastor Brian throughout the summer and uh, he'll need some help on some of the things in the church and if you've got some time and you're willing to help out, just let him know. Uh, you're available. I know we'd appreciate that. Um, you know, coming up here this morning, uh, going, uh, preparing to go on this sabbatical uh, kind of this week and taking a couple months away, and I've never done that before. And uh, after seven years of being the senior pastor here and about um, uh, 15 years, I guess, 15 years or so, uh, being in ministry here at Mount Hope, uh, I felt a little bit, I, thought, I was sitting there and I felt, I said, I, you know, Lord, I kind of feel like a, a someone's setting up a big domino display, and I'm just trying to put the last domino in without knocking them all over and saying something dumb and messing everything up. And, and I felt like the words Holy Spirit kind of just said to me, you've said plenty of dumb things. Don't worry about it. It's, you, just, you just don't remember it. So this morning won't be any different. Um, but, uh, but I am grateful for the years of ministry here. and We're looking forward to the next great season of ministry and uh, God using this summer to kind of prepare for that uh, if you were uh, not able to be here last uh, Sunday, uh, as we uh, in that special business meeting after, um, after second service last week, uh, we did, our members did go uh, vote in the affirmative to go forward with a campus plant in Belmont. Um, so yeah. praise the Lord for that. So some of that work is going to begin over the summer, a lot of renovation and cleanup really over the summer, probably into the fall. Um, And then we're going to be working on that building in Waverly Square in Belmont, and Pastor Brian will be letting you know when we have some cleanup days and how you can help on that, and then uh, launching that campus somewhere in uh, 2015, uh, we'll be working towards that. So, all right, let's uh, take a look at God's Word this morning, Mark chapter 4. Let me start with a question. How many of you in here are golfers? How many like to golf? Come on, yeah. How many hate to golf? How many, how many hate golfing? How many cannot understand why anyone would waste good time and good money chasing a little ball around it, right? You don't understand. It makes absolutely no sense to you, right? How many NASCAR fans here? Any NASCAR fans here? You, you're going to raise your hand? Yeah, you'll let people know. How many cannot understand watching cars make left turns all day? thinking that's a sport and entertainment, right? Yeah, yeah. How many gardeners? Gardeners, you get gardeners here, right, right? How many hate the dirt and will do anything to keep dirt from getting under your fingernails and don't even like sitting in the sand at the beach, right? (laughs) Lots of things that we love and enjoy, we have a hard time understanding when someone doesn't understand what we love and enjoy. Right, You may just totally be into something, I don't know if it's a hobby, it's a sport, or or something you enjoy, and then you meet someone and they absolutely hate that. And you go, I I don't even understand, this is great, this is awesome, this is wonderful, how can you not like and enjoy this? And sometimes we have a hard time understanding how people don't get what we get and love what we love. When it comes to following Jesus or sharing Jesus with someone, sometimes uh, those of us who follow Jesus and love Jesus and embrace him and, and have given our, you know, give our lives and, and you know, come to church every Sunday, and we share that joy with someone and they just don't understand it and it says, we don't get it. Like, how can you not be excited about this message? How can you not be excited about what Jesus has done? And maybe you just didn't hear me. Maybe you just don't get it. You just don't understand. And we sometimes can't understand why someone isn't so excited about the things that we're excited about when it comes to the things of God. And maybe you've come to that place before. Maybe you've been excited about the things of God. You've been excited to share about the things of God. Maybe when you became an early follower of Jesus, you just had to tell everybody about it. And it shocked you that you told some people and they just kind of brushed you off or, or didn't, you know, maybe humored you a little bit by listening to you, but they obviously weren't as excited as you were. And why is that? Why do some people respond with excitement and other people with indifference and perhaps others with maybe even opposition, antagonism, and anger? Why is that? Why doesn't everybody respond in an exciting and accepting way when it comes to this wonderful message of a God who loves you, who died for you, who wants to forgive you and be in relationship with you? Why wouldn't that be exciting to everyone? You might ask that question today, but it was a question that Jesus's disciples were even wrestling with in his day. It was a question the early church would wrestle with. And so Jesus, when he was teaching, he would often teach in stories called parables. And a parable is a is a story that has uh, uh, is is true to life and has a point, a message that that Jesus wanted to get across its parallel runs parallel to life though it's not a complete allegory uh, but it runs it's a parallel truth uh, that Jesus wanted to teach and this morning we're going to look at a parable that really deals with why is it that some people respond eagerly to the message that Jesus brings and some people don't and so his disciples had this question and maybe you have this question so let's look at the parable of the sower In Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20 this morning, parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. This is what the Word of God says. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Francis Chan, a pastor out in California, he kind of paraphrases this last statement of Jesus, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He paraphrases it this way. He says, if you get it, you get it. And I kind of think that's what Jesus was saying there. If you get it, you get it. If you have ears to hear, hear. And then he just kind of leaves it there. And I was tempted this morning just to leave it there and to just say, walk away. Hey, if you get it, you get it. And just walk off the stage. I thought that might be a good way to enter sabbatical. If you you get it, you get it. It's good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for us. But you might say, I don't get it. I'm confused. You'd be in good company because so were Jesus' disciples. They didn't get it either. So then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parable. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown in the rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. What does it take to respond to the word of God and to finish well for God? Why do some people respond one way to the Word of God and others a completely different way? Maybe you've known someone who started serving God, or maybe who served God for quite some time, but then you were shocked. You were shocked to learn that that the way they were living in one context, maybe in church, maybe in community group, maybe in a small group context, maybe the way you knew them was not really the way that they were living their whole life. Uh, You were shocked to find that one person maybe you knew who started out running a great race somehow along the way got detoured and didn't finish the race well. You say, how could that happen? How could that happen? That someone would hear the word of God, that someone would respond, that they would would look like they were so promising and walking in God's word and then turn away. Jesus' disciples had the same question. How could it be that, that some people would respond and hear the word and respond so positively and others are indifferent or even in opposition to the word? Well, this parable kind of gives an answer to that. And I'd like to retitle it. It's often in your Bible probably called the parable of the sower. I think more fitting is the parable of the soils. The sower stays consistent throughout all the different aspects of this story. But the soils are what changes. And so this morning, I wanna talk to you just for a few minutes about three things that are required in the soil in order to produce fruit and three things that are required in your life and my life if we're gonna finish the race well and respond well to God's word and three things that if they're not there, it could be why someone you share Jesus with doesn't respond well because one or two or all three of these things are present. I'm gonna call them three things that are required for bearing fruit and the first one is this, Soil number one, we'll talk about soil number one. This is the seed that falls along the path that the birds ate. Uh, The first thing that's required is that the seed remains and is not stolen. I mean, it seems pretty obvious, right? I mean, if something's going to grow, the bare minimum that has to happen is the seed has to stay. I mean, the seed can't be stolen away. The seed needs to stay. But Jesus says sometimes what happens is the birds come along and steal the seed. Well, what does that mean? He explains it. He says this is like this. The word sown, but as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown into them. And he said that's sometimes what happens. That the reason a person doesn't respond is because the word was given to them, but it was quickly stolen away. I think seed is often stolen away in life when we focus on the urgent and not the importance. I think this is a great strategy of the enemy, that we look at our life and we often get caught up in the urgency of what needs to get done, and so we fail to spend much time thinking about those things that are important and eternal. What needs to get done today, because I have tomorrow to think about eternity. What needs to get done now? Because I'll have another day to think about serving God and what God would require. I've got to right now make hay while the sun's shining. And I think sometimes the seed is stolen because we focus on the urgent and not the important. Maybe it looks something like this You go to a funeral service, it's something the pastor says pricks your heart. You're sitting there, you didn't expect it, you were just going to be kind to your friend and you're just sitting there listening and all of a sudden something the pastor says starts to resonate with you. And you start to think, I wonder if what he's saying is true. You start to think, you know, I've never really thought about these things. I, In fact, I don't really spend much time thinking about Uh, religious things or the things of eternity or heaven and hell. And and what if he's right? Uh, The truth is, uh, I often just rely on what other people have said to me about heaven and hell, and I've never really looked into it myself, and I've never really thought about it myself, and maybe I should spend more time thinking about these things. And your heart begins to move because the word and the seed starts to fall. And you start to think, maybe there's something here I need to be considering more. But then the service ends, and you walk out onto the concrete sidewalk, and the sun hits you in the face, and you quickly put your sunglasses on to to block the sun. And and then you start talking to some of the people who are out on the sidewalk about the weather, and last night's Red Sox loss, and what you're going to do for the summer, and And you start catching up on the things of life. And and then then you walk to your car and you get in your car and you turn your radio on. And you drive away. And just like that, the seed is gone. And the seed is stolen. You start thinking about what you have to do next. You start thinking about what's what's urgent in your life. You start thinking about where you're going and what's on your agenda. And maybe that's what stolen seed looks like. Maybe that's one of Satan's strategies, to take our minds and our eyes off of those things that are important and not let us dwell there very long, but immediately get us refocused on the urgency of life, stolen seed, stolen seed. Maybe it looks like this, you have a friend who, um, her father went into the hospital and Uh, You heard about it, and so you go over to sit with her in the hospital, and it's late at night, no one else is there, and and she's grateful for your presence just sitting beside her in the room. It's late in the hospital, and no one's really around, but you hear the faint sounds of a TV in a room next door, and nothing more than the beeping and whirring and breathing of machines. And you kind of say a silent prayer that God would open up a door for you to say something that would be meaningful to your friend at that moment. And after that, you, you say to your friend, you know, could, would it be all right if I pray for you? Or would it be all right if I pray for, you, for your dad? And she says, well, sure, I'll take all the help I can get. So you say a prayer, and you leave it at that. And she says, you know, I... I, I always knew you were religious, but but I never really heard anyone pray like that. And you just say, well, well I don't really consider myself religious. I I follow Jesus, and praying is kind of like a conversation with God for me. It's, it, it's kind of like just talking to my father. And you leave that out there and sit in silence for a few more minutes. And then you ask... Uh, have you ever prayed? And this begins a lengthy conversation about her history with church. And she says, yeah, I was raised in the Catholic church and I went to CCD and made confirmation and, and all of those things. But after that, I kind of walked away in high school and college. I made some choices that I knew weren't gonna be smiled upon with the, by the church. And I never really understood it anyway and always seemed kind of judged. And so I just never really went back. I just kind of drifted away. And, and you say, well, you know, I find that you know, sometimes Jesus kind of gets a bad rap because people just look at the people that follow him, and they never really look at Jesus. And, and she says, you know, maybe you're right. Sometimes maybe I've thrown away the baby with the bathwater in some way, and maybe I should think about that again. And then she says, you know, would it be all right if I came to church with you sometime? I, maybe I should try and get back to church. And, and you say, yeah, that'd be great. And she says, well, when my dad, you know, when this is over, and my dad's, well, uh, I'd like to go to church with you. And you say, that's great. And, and then a nurse walks in and she's fumbling with machines and taking care of fluids. And, and she's there for a while. And before she leaves, another family member comes in and then another. And before long, you feel a bit like an intruder, so you excuse yourself and, head off to the elevator. While you're there waiting for the elevator, you say a prayer, thanking God for the opportunity to share with your friend and praying for her dad. The next day, you get a text message. that says, uh, you know, thanks for coming last night. Thanks for praying. Dad made a real turnaround in the night and they, they think he's gonna be fine and not have any permanent damage, but he's gonna be in therapy for, you know, a number of weeks and months. And you say, well, that's great, praise God. And she texts back, yeah, and that's all. And then uh, maybe a week later, you ask her, call her, talk to her about her dad again, and you say, hey, you know, how about coming to church this week? And she said, you know, I'd, I'd love to, but, but dad can't be left alone, and the weekends are mine because the rest of the family takes care of him during the week, and so I'm with him on Saturdays and Sundays, and I can't leave him, but, but after dad's better, you know, I'd definitely, I'll be there. And weeks turn into months, and months turns into a year, and dad gets better, but the conversation in the hospital room is long forgotten. And the seed is stolen. And maybe that's a little bit what stolen seed sometimes looks like. Maybe sometimes people don't respond to the word of God because the enemy comes in and the urgency of life comes in before there's opportunity to consider the things that are important. And the seed gets stolen. One of the important ingredients for f- fruit to come forth is for the seed to remain. Sometimes there's no fruit because the seed is stolen. But soil number two, as we take a look at that, uh, Jesus said there's another kind of soil that the seed falls upon, and this seed is the rocky soil. Soil number two is seed where some fell and it couldn't develop a root, and he explains it like this. Seed was sown on rocky places The people hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is interesting because there are early signs of health and growth, something does begin to grow. Seed's not stolen, it's there, and something begins to grow. And you and I have all known people, or perhaps this has even been the case with with you or someone you know and love, where the seeds planted, you share with them, and something begins to grow quickly and showing a lot of promise. But then it dies off. And Jesus says, uh, if it doesn't have any root, the plant's going to die. And he talks about two things that are problems if you don't have any roots, one is the troubles of this world, and two is persecution that can come as a result of the word in your life. A troubles everyone experiences. A persecution is unique to someone who chooses to follow Jesus. But he says those are the two things, that if you don't have a root in your life, then the troubles will come or persecution will come, and you won't be able to stand. You'll be blown over. You won't be able, you won't have a root system that'll hold you in place when trouble or persecution comes. And maybe it looks something like the guy that, you know, started attending church. And he was coming for a while and just sitting and things were going great. The music was great. He was enjoying it. People were friendly. The pastor was okay. He told a joke every now and then and that made him laugh. The coffee was decent and at least it was free and he started coming and attending regularly. And he'd get involved. And he, uh, he started working in one of the First Impressions ministries and started welcoming people, connecting them. You know, and he was there every other week. And, and everybody thought things were going great. And something went wrong at work one day he arrives at work and his his boss calls him into the office and he said look you you're doing great at work and everything's going great and we'd love having you here but I got to tell you your project didn't get funded this next year and the money's just not there and we we love you here and we I'd love to move you someplace else but there's just no other positions open right now and without that funding there's just there's just no position for you and and there's nothing nothing else I can do And he and he's kind and compassionate. He says, Look, I'll write you the best, you know, recommendation, you know, that I can. I'll try to do everything I can to help you find a job. If something comes up, you'll be the first one we call. And he says, I'm sure you'll land on your feet soon and you're disappointed and it's hard news to hear, but you feel the same way. You've always had a job, something's always come along. And why would this time be any different? And it'll be difficult, but you'll get through it. People start talking to you, and then they say, oh, you know, they're sorry to hear that. But you say, don't worry. You know, God's going to take care of it. You know, don't worry about it. I'm praying, and, and God's going to take care of it. And you go up to the elders, and you ask for prayer for your job, and they pray for you, and you just know something's going to come up that next week. But nothing comes up that next week. And you get a call back here and there and an interview every once in a while, but, but no offer. No job. And then weeks turn into months. And, and the unemployment's been helping, but it's still hard to make it. And it looks like that might be running out. And you just don't know what you're going to do next. And you've stopped telling people that God's going to carry you through. And you stopped praying because you said, well, I guess it just doesn't work for me. And you stopped Even going to church because everyone there asks how the job search is going, and the offering bag is just another reminder of what you're not able to give and you'd like to. So the seed that was planted and sprung up, if it doesn't have any root, the troubles of life come along and they'll blow that plant right over because those are hard times. And those are difficult times. And if the seeds don't have any root, you can't make it through those times with God. And so it's important to have root through those times because it's difficult. And Jesus says the troubles of life will come. And sometimes seed doesn't last because the root is not there. And sometimes seed doesn't last because he says there's persecution And that persecution comes about as a result of the word. In other words, because you've chosen to follow Jesus, things get hard. Not just the troubles of this world, but because you have intentionally decided to follow Jesus, things get hard. And that keeps the seed from growing because if there's no root, it just blows over. It's not hard to see that in our world right now. You hear the stories, and so do I. Persecution of people for no other reason than they've chosen to follow Jesus. <clears throat> things happening in northern Nigeria, and things happening in uh, North Korea, China, Iran, places where people are being persecuted for no other reason and they say they follow Jesus. persecution that's happening where where people are being uh, thrown into prison just because they follow Jesus. If you don't have roots, you're not going to make it through that time. There's other persecution that happens that we don't have to look beyond our own shores to see there's economic persecution that happens more and more. Just this past week, many of you heard about the Hobby Lobby case. A case where a family of a Christian-owned business had to go all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States just to be able to live out their Christian beliefs and run their business in a way that's in accordance with those beliefs. If you don't have roots, you're not going to survive a persecution like that. And make no no mistake about that situation. You've been hearing the news and you've been hearing a lot of the, uh, the reports. It wasn't... The, the, the case was not about contraception. Please don't misunderstand the case. The case was about abortion in, the, in life and about a family not having to contribute to something they felt was something that would contribute to abortions and life being lost. And they had to go all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States to be able to defend that right, the persecution that comes from following Jesus. Cake decorator in Colorado who uh, said he'll no longer make wedding cakes because he doesn't want to be forced uh, to participate in things that are contrary to core Christian beliefs. A photographer in New Mexico who said who was approached to, to photograph a same-sex wedding, and she said, you know, uh, I, I don't want to do that. That would be contrary to my beliefs, but very politely said, here's another number of people who probably would do a good job for you in that. And yet she had to defend herself in court, persecuted for her beliefs. we no longer live in a society and a culture that it's uh, culturally acceptable and cool to follow Jesus at times. And so if you don't have roots, you're not going to stand when the winds blow. If you don't have roots, Jesus is saying troubles will come or persecution will come. And you won't stand. See, it makes sense. If you don't trust Jesus, let me tell you, it makes no sense to stand in the midst of that persecution. It makes more sense to protect your physical self and to protect your economic well-being. It makes much more sense. Unless you follow Jesus and have given all to him. Otherwise, it makes much more sense to give in for the sake of comfort or convenience. Jesus asked the question really with this soil. Really, the question comes up is he God of the good and the happy times, or is he also God of the difficult and challenging times? Is he God only when Moses is leading the Israelites out of slavery, or is he God also when Moses is hiding on the backside of the desert? Is he God only when Job is healthy and wealthy, or is he God also when Job is sick and broke? Is he God only when Joseph is is leading and in political power in Egypt? Or is he God also when Joseph is in prison? Is he God only when John the Baptist, people are flocking to him to baptize people in the Jordan River? Or is he God also when John the Baptist is in prison and about to get his head chopped off for standing up for a holy life? Is he God only when Jesus is being welcomed into the city to shouts of Hosanna? Or is he God also when Jesus is hanging on the cross and being crucified for our sins? Is he God only when Peter is preaching and thousands are saved? Or is he God also when Peter is being whipped and persecuted and eventually crucified for following Jesus? Is he God only when things are going well and you and I are getting what we want from him? Or is he God also when things are difficult? Is he God only when the bills are paid and, and everything's up to date and the kids are tucked in? Or is he God also is he God also when the prognosis is difficult and the news is hard and there's more bills than there is check at the end of the month? Is he God also that? See the second soil. Jesus says, if you don't have roots that go deep into the soil, and then either trouble or persecution is gonna blow you over, the winds of change will blow that plant right over. Roots. Roots are things that will give you energy through dry times and give you strength through difficult times. Roots grow slowly over time where nobody sees them. And for Jesus to be Lord of your life and for you to make it through trouble and persecution, it's going to take roots that run deep. It's going to take walking through some stuff and trusting God so that your roots are strengthened. It's going to take continually being in his presence, in his word, so that the roots can grow deep in your life. It's going to take at times just sticking a stake in the ground and saying, here I stand, I will not and cannot do otherwise. Roots that are deep within the ground. Soil number three, sometimes the seed is stolen, sometimes it springs up quickly and is blown over because of lack of roots, but soil number three, Jesus says, is seed that's doesn't bear fruit because it's sown among the thorns. And I would say for a seed to grow and bear fruit, it needs a clear, non-competitive environment. For a seed to grow and be healthy, it needs a clear, non-competitive environment where it is not competing for the same resources that it needs to grow and survive. Soil number three is seed that is sown among the thorns Jesus says this in an explanation. Still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke out the world, making it unfruitful. This is not troubles and persecutions. This is something different. This is worries, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in. So I look at the the seed we were just talking about. Soil number two is about things that would come in, and they're they're difficult, uh, evil, bad things, we would say. They're painful things, but that's not the case with soil number three. Soil number three, Jesus said, sometimes there's good things in this world that will deceive you, that will draw you away, that will compete for the resources that the word of God needs in your life to grow. And he says, some seed doesn't grow because of that. He says the seed is choked out. Choking happens when there's an overcrowding. Too many things are competing for the same ground and same resources. Choking happens when life is being cut off or critical ingredients needed for survival are cut off from the plants. It's the riches and the good things of this world that can compete for the life and the word of God in your life. Jesus says sometimes it's the worries and concerns of this world. I don't know if you realize it or not, but the more you have, the more you have to worry about. Uh, the more you have, the more you have to care about. I remember one time I was, uh, I was uh, borrowing, I had borrowed my, my dad's car. My dad has a nicer car than I have, and I had driven it someplace, and I parked it someplace, and I was, I was staying there overnight, and I remember looking out the window like five or six times throughout the night to make sure the car was there and nothing happened to it. I wouldn't have done that if it was my car parked there. I'm worried about my car. No one's going to take my car. But the more you have, The more you care about, the more you have to be worried about, right? And sometimes in life, we realize that the more you have, the one thing we forget is the more you have to care about. Now, you have an old, beat-up car. You don't worry about it. You leave the keys in it. You'll leave the windows rolled down. You don't lock the doors. You think, man, if someone steals it, the insurance money's worth more than the car anyway. (laughs) You're sometimes parking it in places where you're hoping someone's going to take it. But if you got a brand-new car you are rolling up those windows, locking that door, taking those keys, setting the alarm, parking it someplace that's well lit and maybe a camera sees it and you can see it from the store and you kind of take a look back and sometimes you step out of the store just to make sure it's still there. You put it someplace where no one can scratch it because the more you have, the more you have to care about. The more you have to worry about. You don't think that's true. Just think about the things you have to insure. You don't have anything. You don't have to buy insurance on anything. You insure your car. You insure the contents of your apartment or your condo. You insure your home if you have one. You insure your life. You insure your health. You you insure if you if you've got some assets, you insure those. You maybe you you've got some artwork, you insure. You insure some jewelry. You insure some. A coin collection, a stamp collection. I don't know. You can buy insurance for anything now. Those things that we care about. The more you have, the more you have to care about. The more you have to worry about. And Jesus said one of the things that can keep a seed from growing is the worries of this world. And sometimes the reason a seed doesn't grow is because we don't have time because we're so worried and concerned about the things in this world. Or he says... uh, Another reason the seed doesn't grow is because of the deceitfulness of wealth. What's the deceitfulness of wealth? I think the deceitfulness of wealth is when wealth that can be a good thing, and certainly is. In the Bible, you see God blessing many. His blessing, wealth follows blessing. He gives often to many people. He gives for a purpose, for it to be used and be a blessing to others, but it's not a bad thing in itself. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is, and yet... Jesus says the deceitfulness of wealth can keep deceitful going. What's the deceitfulness of wealth? I think the deceitfulness of wealth is when a good thing starts to become an ultimate thing. When, When something that is given to be used is suddenly looked at as something to be accumulated and kept. When something that is given to be used for the benefit and the blessing of others is all of a sudden we build bigger silos to keep it for and to ourselves when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. When something that's a good thing to be used becomes something we suddenly look at for meaning and purpose in life. And I think that's the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth is that I can have so much money and so much wealth that I don't need God that I've got everything I need. I don't need God. That's the deceitfulness of wealth, that I can take care of everything that I need. And that deceit sometimes only gets revealed on your last day on this earth. When you realize I can't buy another minute, I can't buy another day, I can't buy another moment. that's the deceitfulness of wealth. Jesus says that can draw people away. That can take you away. That can steal the seed and keep the seed from growing. That can keep the seed from growing. And the final thing, he says the desires of this world, the desires of things to come. In other words, envy, greed. I don't have it and if I get it, I'll be happy and that's all I'll need and that cycle that we keep running on. If I can just get the next thing that I need, I'll be fine and I'll be happy. Looking at Wendy this morning, she said I could share this. I was talking about this this morning. She said to me this morning, we were talking about uh, things that we enjoy and she said, you know, sometimes I think all I need is enough money to buy all the books I want and hot beverages and a craft store, and I'm fine. And I thought, well, it's fits well this morning. Good thing you're coming to church. Because <laughs> we often think, if I just got this thing, I'd be happy and I'd be fine. And then you get that thing. And then you realize there's another thing. And there's another thing. And i got to get that thing. And when I get that thing, then I can focus on God. And when I get that thing, then I can focus on God. And you never have the final thing. Jesus says uh, one of the reasons the seed doesn't grow is because of the desires for things to come, things you want, things you desire. And it'll keep the seed from growing in your life. It'll keep you from yielding and bringing forth a harvest in your life. How do you stay away in soil number three? How do you keep yourself from falling into these things? How do you keep yourself from falling into the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for things to come and the worries of this world? I thought of a couple things that I think can help. I think one is spend some time with people who have less and are in need and poor. Spend some time that don't have, with people that don't have the things that you may take for granted that come so easily. Spend some time around people that are not resourced in a way that they know that everything they need is going to be there and they can just focus on their wants. Spend some time. Find some place in your town, in your city, in your community where we live, to spend some time around some people like that. And it might remind us of the deceitfulness of wealth or how much we don't need those things that we might desire. Or another practice that I think is a good one to engage in, just give some stuff away. Just give some stuff away and start engaging in radical generosity. Lavish and radical generosity to remind yourself that these things are not what it's all about. These things are not what I live for. And so as we look at the parable of the soils, why does Jesus give it to us? I think he gives it to us because his disciples were asking the same questions we would do. Why doesn't everyone respond the same way? Why doesn't everyone believe? Why doesn't everyone accept it? And the answer is because not all the soils are the same. It helps us to understand why not all respond to Jesus' invitation to life. It helps us understand why a life that looks like it's growing can suddenly go off track and be blown over. It helps us understand why some seed that's planted just gets choked out. So Jesus gives us this parable to help us to understand that. But second, it gives us an opportunity, and here's what I want to close with and focus on this morning as we bring this to a close, to examine the soil of our own hearts. It gives us the opportunity to examine the soil and the condition of our own hearts as you receive the Word of God. This morning... Every time you come to church, every time you open your Bible, every time you listen to a message and the Word of God is sown in you, what is the condition of your heart and my heart when we come to the Word of God? And is it good soil? Soil number four was good soil. Is it being sown on good soil? Because you might think, you might think that the sower was being careless, You might think that the sower was being careless. Why did he throw seed on the path? Why did he waste seed on the rocks? Why did he sow seed among the thorns? Well, really to understand this parable, you need to understand something about farming in the uh, area that Jesus was speaking in. And what you need to understand is they sowed seed first and plowed second. Uh, The path was going to get plowed under. The rocks they couldn't see under the soil and the thorns hadn't grown up yet or they would be plowed under. So the seed was scattered with the intent that it would all be plowed under. And so the sower sows the seed. But then some of the seed is eaten off the path before it's plowed. Some of the soil ends up having rocks in it. Some of the soil ends up having thorns and it's choked out. And seeds scattered this morning in the word of God, and what is the heart that it's being sown into? What is the condition of your heart and my heart? Because I've seen seeds stolen before it had a chance to grow. I've seen seeds thrown on hard soil, and it's stolen away. The urgent takes precedence over the important seen seed that sprouts up quickly and then is blown over by the troubles of life or the persecution that comes with following Jesus. And I've seen seed choked out through the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of things to come or the worries of this world. But what's the condition of your heart? Is it soil that will bring forth a harvest And a great harvest for God is its soil that God, God's word, can grow into. I skipped one part of this passage, um, and it's perhaps the one part of the passage that jumped out at you when I first read it. It's that middle section. It's that middle section that Jesus uh, talks about in verses 10 through 12. He says, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables. And then he quotes Isaiah, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. And you say, what's going on there? And scholars for years have said, what's going on there? It's one of the toughest passages in all the New Testament to understand if you're going to treat it with integrity. I think the best understanding of that passage and of that section, though, is what Jesus is saying is a bit of what we talked about last week about that unforgivable sin, that the men he was talking to, the the men he was... uh, that he's talking about that they're being kept from were these Pharisees and religious leaders who have deliberately set their hearts and themselves against God. And he said, you know, he talks to his disciples in parables, and they're supposed to get it, though they not always do. But he knows that people who set their heart against God are never going to get it. Otherwise, they turn to follow God, and they don't. And he knows they're not going to get it, and so he says that, uh, you know, I speak in parables, and you're supposed to get it, and they won't because they don't want to get it. They don't have ears to hear. But I think what's important in understanding that is that the parable alone isn't enough. It's faith and trust in Jesus Christ that is the essential, necessary ingredient that comes to understanding the parable and living the life for him. That the parable alone isn't the point. The point is that when someone puts their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, then you can understand these things. Then it makes sense to to withstand troubles and persecution and not get caught up in the wealth of this world. It's those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. That's why he says, you guys are supposed to get it. They don't get it because they haven't put their faith in me. They're never going to get it. But you guys are supposed to get it. So one application of this passage this morning is if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you won't get it. It won't make sense. It'll seem like a fool's errand to withstand troubles and persecution, to forsake wealth. It will seem like a fool's errand because it starts with faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, this morning's a great time to embrace God and to put your life in his hands and to follow him, to give your life to him. But the second part is for those that that do follow Christ. We're supposed to get it. And if we're not getting it, maybe the soil of our heart hasn't been tilled so that it can receive the word of God. And maybe you are too focused on the urgent and need to spend some time looking at the important. Where in your week do you make time? Where in your day do you make time for the seed to grow in your life? Have you been deceived by the deceitfulness of riches? Have you been captured by the urgent over the important? Have you not developed roots in your life? As we come to this communion table this morning at the close of our service, Paul says, when you come to the Lord's table, examine your heart. And so that's what I want us to do as we come to this table and we close out our service this morning. I want us to examine our hearts. And if there be anything there that would keep the word of God from growing and flourishing and for us being effective and productive and living the life for God that he desires for us to live, then let's get right with God this morning. Let's till that soil and make, get that out and get into a place where it's good soil for the word of God to dwell in. So I'm going to ask those that are going to help me to serve to come and the musicians to come. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your table this morning, And as we come, Lord, considering the Word of God that was just sown and just shared, Lord, God, I pray that you would speak to all of us right now. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be honest with ourselves and honest with you, and I ask your Holy Spirit to search our hearts so you would help us to be honest in places that we usually aren't. And God, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts, that, Lord, if there's anything in our hearts that would keep the Word of God from growing and keep, uh, keep us from becoming the men and women and the church of God you desire us to be, that, God, let today be the day that you rooted out. Search our hearts today. Examine our hearts as we prepare to receive and remember your sacrifice for us. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen.